Okay, we're going to begin this uh, series of teaching on who am I. Uh, this is, I believe, is a foundational truth in Christianity that we got to lay hold of. For a long time, uh, in the church, we sort of know, you know, we think we know who we are uh, as sons of God and so on. But what we don't really know it uh, precisely, crystal clear. And uh, I believe God is bringing us into this revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. And also, those of you, you if you have read any of the help book, you know, the self-help book, you realize they talk about this truth. You know, no, no matter uh, what amount of teaching and motivation uh, you receive in a training, but if you don't really know your self-worth, if this part of the teaching or the truth, you don't get it, and all the rest of the other helps that you have learned is not going to help you so much. You know, because we really live out of the perception that we have about ourselves. So if we have a defeated self-image, we're going to live that kind of life. If we don't have confidence about who we are, uh, we are not going to perform well. Okay, so this teaching is so important and, and uh, uh, we really need to uh, grasp or hold of it. So if we were to ask the question, who are you? Who am I? How would you respond? Some of us, we would say, well, I'm an engineer, right? I'm a lawyer. I'm a, a businessman. You see, we, we begin to describe ourselves by the role we play, the responsibility that I have. I'm a mother. I'm a father. Right. But our role only partially describes who we are. Our role only describes the responsibilities that we have in life. Okay, it's not a complete picture of who we are. And uh, we sort of uh, associate our identity with the external things that we have. You know, some of us, we associate ourselves as, uh, by our wealth, by our position, by our performance, our success, or failure in life. See, so we begin to uh, identify ourselves by the external things that, that we have or, or we don't have. So if you build your self-worth on things that is external, things that you have do not have complete control over, you're building your self-worth on a very shaky ground. Because you don't have control over certain circumstances and environment, and it may cause you to fail, it may cause certain things to happen. You see, so if you base yourself on an external thing, then you're building your life on a very shaky ground. But we need to uh, come back to the truth that is revealed uh, in the Bible, because I am. Because I am, therefore, I have worth and value. Okay, so we have intrinsic uh, worth. That means when when God has created us, we are we are born, we are uh, created in in the image of God as a human being. We are we already have worth. Okay, as a person, without us performing, uh, doing anything. Okay, so uh, so self worth. Is a recognition of one's value and worth as a unique human being. Okay, we realize we are so unique, every, every one of us. So we have self-worth and uh, we recognize that value. And uh, each one of us are given gifts and abilities. And uh, therefore, we can contribute to this world in a special way. You know, when we have a right sense of self-worth, then we will appreciate 
and enjoy our strength. And then we would tolerate and have an awareness of our weakness. Right? So, uh, and we, 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 we cultivate a wholesome self-love for ourselves. You know, some people, they have wrong self-worth. They, they cannot accept the faults or the weaknesses in their life. And they try to defend, they try to cover up because they have a wrong self-image. Right? But a person with a wholesome self-image, we realize as a human being in our personalities, there are strengths. There are weaknesses. That's, that's how God made us. And so we can live and tolerate the weaknesses in our life because we know that's part of us. But at the same time, we know we have strength. And so we appreciate those strengths and enjoy those strengths that uh, God has made us. Okay, so uh, let's turn to the book of Proverbs 23, the verse that we know so well, but we're going to use that as the foundational truth to understand the importance of self-worth. Proverbs 23, verse 7. The King James Version says this, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we have a mental understanding of ourselves. But we also have an emotional and spiritual understanding of ourselves. Sometimes our mental understanding of ourselves seems good. We have the right answer about who we are. You know, if I were to ask you tonight, I'm sure you say, well, I'm a child of God. You know, God loved me so much. I'm so, uh, and He saved me. I'm so precious. I have so much worth. You see, that's our mental understanding from the truth that we have. But that may not be necessary how we perceive ourselves inside. You see, inside yourself, you could see yourself, you may see yourself as worthless, stupid, useless, failure, good for nothing, rejected. You see, there is a mental understanding that may not necessarily be how we perceive ourselves in our hearts. So the Bible says, as a man perceive, as a man thinketh in his heart, what he really sees himself inside, that's how he's going to live, that's how he's going to be as a person. Right? So, uh, and that's why understanding our true self-image, our true self-worth is so important because that determines how you're going to live your life. Whether you're going to live happy, whether you're going to live successful, whether you're going to live you know, positively contributing towards life, or whether you're just living a very negative life, waiting for people to love you, waiting for people to, to give to you, to accept you, to minister to you, and, and be miserable. Okay, so how we perceive who we are on the inside is how we're going to live. And uh, somebody said there are a lot of great discoveries you know, around. But the greatest discovery that anyone could ever make is self-discovery. You know, we know there are tremendous discovery around. But for each one of us, your greatest discovery, my greatest discovery is to discover about who I am. Right? Because once I discover my true self, once I discover who I really is, then I'm going to live, uh, be able to live that life that God has given to me. So we need to know where we are at this moment. 
so that we can prepare ourselves to move into our future. And uh, we look into the example uh, in a nation of Israel how this self-image affect how we live. Okay, we're going to see from the Bible. Can we turn to Numbers thirteen? Numbers thirteen. Uh, verse 33. Right, we know this story so well. The nation of Israel, they were delivered out of Egypt. And now they are preparing themselves to enter into the promised land. And so they send out 12 spies to spy up the land. And uh, 10 of the spies came back with very negative reports. You know, they say it's true. The land is filled with milk and honey. The, you know, the fruits that we brought back, they are so uh, uh, big and so uh, great. But the trouble is, there were giants in those lands. So, they described themselves in this way in verse 33 of Numbers 13. He said, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anna come from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Okay, let me repeat the last phrase. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. So you see the self-image that they have, have about themselves. How do they see themselves? They say we look like grasshoppers to ourselves. They see themselves as so weak, so insignificant, so tiny, so fragile, can easily be destroyed and crash. That's how they see themselves. And if that is how you see yourself, that's how you're going to live. And indeed, that's how they live. They say, no, we're not going in to the promised land because there are giants there and they are going to crush us. They're going to destroy us. We are not going in there. They want to hop out of the challenge, the leading of God because they are grasshoppers. You know, grasshoppers, when they are threatened, what do they do? Hop. They jump. They run away. Okay? Why? Because that's how they perceive themselves. Tiny little grasshoppers. And they say something else. They say, we look the same to them. We look the same to them. Remember, these are spies. What do you do if you are a spy? Do you go and present yourself to the people there? Or you are just hiding around, just observing, just watching, and just, you know, peeping at what's going on? How do you know what those people think? You see, it's a projection of their self-image on what people think about them. You know, some people, they always say, well, I don't want to go to that place because they don't like me. Very often, the truth is because they can't accept themselves. They don't like themselves. So they say, oh, those people, they don't like me. So I don't want to go there. You see? Their self-image. That's how they live. And they project it onto others. So the nation of Israel, they project it to the people. They say, that's how they see us. How they look at us. But they don't know. They don't know what those people think. And in fact, that is not the truth. That's not what those people think about them. Later on, we're going to look at how those people really think about the nation of Israel. But uh, here, this verse is showing us if, if you perceive yourself in a certain way, 
that's how you're going to live. And very often you project it onto others. You think that is what people see you, you know, as uh, despise you, look down on you, because you really can't see much good about yourself. You despise yourself. You look down on yourself. So you say, those people, they look down on me. Okay? The problem with our self-image. But in Daniel 11, verse 32, it says, you don't need to turn to it. Let me just tell you what it says here. He said, the people who know God, those who know the Lord, they will do great exploit. Those who know the Lord. In order for us to really know who we are, we really need to know who God is. Because when we know who God really is, He's our God, we will begin to know who we are as the people of God. And as a result of that, because we know our God is great, and we begin to realize that we are great people, and tonight you are a great people, Amen. You see, when you realize that we have a great God and we are great people, we are going out there to do great exploit. We'll be able to do things, great things, because we have a great God and we know we are great people. So tonight, in order to, for us to really, really know who we are, we really need to know who God is. Okay? And then we will come to an understanding of who we are. And the Bible tells us that each one of us, we really have to have a right assessment of who we are. That's found in Galatians 6.4. We really need to have a right assessment of who we are. You know, when we really know who we are, you don't need to compete with people. You don't need to compare yourself with other people. See, those people were you know, always comparing themselves. Because they're using others as a standard for themselves. They really don't know who they are. But once we know who we are, we know we're unique, we know we're different. We don't compare. We have a right assessment of who we really are uh, in God. So we talk about uh, the greatest discovery that is a discovery of ourself. And uh, the most important discovery, just now we talk about the greatest discovery, that is discovery of ourselves. But the most important discovery of recent years is this that if you change the thinking of a person, you can change his life. If we change the thinking of a person, we can change his life. You know, you come into this meeting, maybe you have all sort of negative perception about who you are. And so your life, in a way, is not really happy because of that self-image that you have. But this most important discovery tells us that if we can change our perception of who we really are, then our life will be changed. If you can change your mindset, what you think about who you are, you can change your life. And that's good news. Because we, a lot of us, we need to change how we look at ourselves so that our life would truly, truly be changed. And this is in line with the, what the Bible says. You know, in Romans 12, Verse 1 and 2, we know that our lives are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are already safe in Jesus. We know and appreciate what Jesus has done. But for some of us, our life doesn't seem to change much. Even though we know Jesus come to give us a new life, but our life doesn't seem to change much. Why? Because our mindset has not been renewed. We are still perceiving ourselves, you know, as a failure, as a sinful person, as a worthless person that we have been. So unless we change that perception of who we really are in Christ Jesus, 
The renewing of our mind is a process. It doesn't happen overnight, and you're totally, completely changed. Because our thinking, it takes a process to to change our mindset. And as our mindset are being changed, we are being transformed. So it's a process. And so, this is what people dis- discover in recent times. But that is what is in the Bible long, long time ago. And tonight we want to look into another example in the Bible of someone who really know who he is and he was able to live that life. That is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, this is an interesting account about John's life. Verse 19, John 1, verse 19. You see, the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask John the Baptist. They asked, who are you? Who are you? And the Bible in verse 20 says, John the Baptist, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Is it tonight? If somebody were to ask you, Who are you? Do you know who you are? Because how you perceive yourself is how you're going to live. Who are you? So John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. You see, so we can see from the, uh, the life of John the Baptist, he knew exactly who he was. We know that John the Baptist's miraculous birth and, and, and God, the angels revealed to the mother, who he was, a Nazareth, he's not to drink wine, you know, and, and uh, uh, not to eat unclean things. So, John the Baptist knew exactly who he, he was and his calling. And so we know that John the Baptist, he, he behaved a little bit weird in our thinking. Because he lived in the wilderness, in caves, and, and, and he ate honey and locusts, and he had camel skin uh, uh, to cover himself as clothing. And uh, uh, as a Nazareth, he would not have cut his hair. And, uh, and that's how he lived. You know, why did he live that way? He never married, he got beheaded eventually. Because he knew who he was. He knew his calling. And tonight, do you you know who you are? Do you know the purpose? Your calling in this life. Because if you really know who you are, you will know the calling. And throughout this course, you know, we want to really know exactly who we are and exactly why we're here so that we know how to live our life. Okay, and so, uh, so he, he lived out his calling. And then they asked him, you know, if you are not the Messiah, why do you baptize people? Verse 26, he said, I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stand one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thorns of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So John knew why he did what he did. He came. He came to prepare the way. So he preached repentance. He, uh, he, he has to practice water baptism. 
because that's a sign of death and barrier of your old life. But that's as far as he can go because he's not the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, he's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John knew exactly why he does. He did what he did. And we need to know who we are so that we know why we do what we are doing. Because we all live our life. And a lot of people, they, they don't know why they are, they are doing what they are doing. If you ask them, you know, why do you do that? Well, you say, I don't know, everybody, everyone else is doing it, so I'm doing it. Right? A lot of us has, has that sort of answer. You know, I mean, this is what's expected. You see, we don't really know who we are. Why we're here. What's the purpose? And, and, and our calling, so that we can live out that life. So we just sort of generally do what other people are doing. Okay, but John, he knew. He knew why he did what he did. So, it is not what you do that determines who you are. It is who you are that determines what you will do. Let me repeat that again. That's why knowing who we are is so important. It's not what you do that determines who you are. It is who you are that determines what you will do. Just a simple illustration about this truth. You know, a little girl, I mean, we, many of us, we have children, we have little girls, and we also have sons. And the little girl's interest and what she like to play very often I know they're exceptional cases but very often they're so different from the boys right I know my nephew you know they, they, they are twins uh, my, my nephew's uh, uh, twin children one is a boy one is a girl the boy like to play with his hands you know fix things cars, and so on. But the girl is not really interested in things like that. Why? Because the girl is a girl. It's who she is that determines what she will do. The boy, naturally because he's a boy. You know, so he played with the things that he played with. So it's who we are that determines what we do is not what we do that determines who we are. This truth is very important. Because a lot of us depends on what we do to confirm, to, 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 to affirm who we are. So we run and strive for, 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 uh, 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 to, to get more money, to get a uh, 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 position to, 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 to be uh, known so that we can know that we are somebody of worth, somebody of status, somebody of value. You see? We depends on what we do to determine who we are. That's, that's not right. Let me prove why it's not right. Tonight, I come in Wearing high heel shoes, dress up in a skirt, a wig and lipsticks and handbag, and twist my butt, butt, bottom as I walk. Do you think I'm a girl? You see, if, I, if what I do, did, you know, determines who I am, then well, you see. But the reason why I don't wear like that, why I don't, you know, behave like that, is because I'm a man. You see, it's who I am that determines what I do. But if somebody is confused, we see some of those who are confused, they're not sure whether they're man or female, right? So they behave like that. They're just confused. You see? So it's who... Get this into your mind. It's who you are 
that determines what you will do. So that's why it's so important that we know who we are. Okay? You see, but if we don't know who we are, what are we going to do? You know, if we don't know that we're of worth, we will get it by foul means. Okay? If we really don't know who we are, we'll get it by other means. Somehow we need to have worth. And so we'll try and get it from other means. Uh, the example is the story of Jacob. Jacob. In Genesis 25, verse 26. You know the story about the birth of Jacob? You know, they, he was born uh, with his twin brother Esau. And Esau is the elder son. And when the mother conceived these twin brothers, there was such a struggle, you know. She know there was war, there was fighting, there was constant struggle inside her tummy. You know why? Because Jacob, he's the younger. But somehow, he knew the importance of being the firstborn. The importance of coming first. Well, don't ask me how he knows. So Jacob was trying to push and drag his elder brother Esau, you know, uh, away so that he can come out of the mother's womb earlier to be the elder son, to be the the, the firstborn. And uh, that's why when he was born, the mother the parents gave him the name Jacob, which means a deceiver. You know, how would you like that? That name, you know, as your identity, as who you are. But that was Jacob. That was Jacob because he really wanted to, to know his own importance, his worth, uh, uh, more so, you know, uh, uh, than, than, than his brother Esau, and, and that's why he try and get the birthright uh, as the eldest son, you know, and, uh, and, he, and he got it by foul means. But the truth is, before Jacob was conceived, God has already predestined, God has already chosen Jacob instead of Esau to inherit the blessing. That was God's plan. But Jacob didn't know. So he's trying to get it by his own means. He's trying to get it by his own way. You know, the the book of Romans 9 tells us about God's plan for Jacob. And uh, in Romans 9 verse 11, 11. Yet before the twins were born or had done any good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand not by works but by him who calls she was told the older will serve the younger just as it is written Jacob I loved but Esau I hated you see that was God's plan God has already chosen Jacob before he was born and God said, your elder brother is going to serve you. But Jacob didn't know that. So Jacob was fighting by his own means and his this, this, uh, in a craftiness, trying to get what God has already promised that he will have. Because he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his own destiny. You know, that's what happened to us as Christians. You know, even though we know that, oh, we are the sons of God, we know God has tremendous blessing for us, we know it sort of in our mind. But somehow we really don't know it. We can't perceive it. So what we do is we try and get it by foul means. Instead of following God, we try and use our own ways, use our own manipulation like Jacob to get what God has already promised us. 
You know, so so we know that uh, uh, Jacob, through this deception, he he conned his brother in his moments of desperation or weakness to sell him the birthright with a bowl of lentil soup. And we know that with the cooperation or the instigation of the mother, he deceived the brother Esau of the blessing of the father. So he got what he wanted. But he realized this doesn't help him if he get it from the foul means because he has run for his life. You know, as he, as he uh, ran for his life and uh, to, to avoid, uh, uh, to escape from, from, from the anger of his brother Esau who wanted to kill him because he was in, in a rage uh, because of what Jacob has done to him. So as he was running away, you know, that night, he lay down there in this place called Bethel. And he had a dream. In that dream, he saw angels of God coming down on a ladder from heaven, up and down, up and down. And God revealed himself to him. God spoke to him. And the amazing thing is, you know, maybe we should look at what God speak to such a man who deceived his brother with, with, uh, in an in, in, in a, uh, ungodly way and he's running for his life. You know, what would God speak to a man like that? Genesis 28. Twenty-eight, verse fourteen. Uh, maybe just to read a more complete picture, uh, verse thirteen. Dear Abraham, stood the Lord, and he said, "I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying." Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Can you imagine? You are a deceiver. You are running for your life because of what you have done. And what do you expect God to speak to you? Judgment. Punishment, right? That's what we would expect God to speak to us. But God spoke to him and promised him that he's going to bless him, he's going to watch over him, he's going to bring him safely back to the land. Because God has a destiny, God has a plan for Jacob, and Jacob never knew it. And he's trying by his foul means to, to, to get what God has already prepared for him. But Jacob could not trust God. He could not. So at this point in time, he has seen the angels of God and he has seen the Lord speaking to him. And he still could not trust God. And some of us, it's not that we don't have experience with God. It's not that we don't know what God has done for us. We do. But somehow in our hearts, we just cannot trust Him with what He has said. And so Jacob is still willing and dealing with God even at this time, in this experience. You know, in verse 20, look at what uh, Jacob said in verse 20. Jacob make a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You see, Jacob 
did not believe. He's saying, well, what you say is good, but I'm not sure whether this is true or not, but if you will do it, if you will watch over me, you see, so, so there was so much fear and, and, and insecurity in, in, in Jacob's life. You know? So, fear of security, say, he said, God, if you will watch over me. Fear of survival, he said, if you will give me food to eat. Fear of the future, he said, if you really bring, it, bring me back to my father's house. So there's so much fear. I guess those fears are what some of us have in our hearts. We fear for our security. We fear for our future, our survival. You know? And, uh, and Jacob said, God, if, if you will do all these things, then, then I will tithe. Then I will give back one-tenth to you. Okay, so we see that Jacob really, you know, he had an encounter with God. But that encounter wasn't enough to change him. Okay? So we may have encounters with God. And some of us, we need another dose. We need another encounter. Until that breakthrough comes. You know, I see in church... There are people whom God has been so gracious and so, you know, blessed them again and again. But still, not much change. You see? So Jacob really had an encounter. But he said, if, if, you know. But just cut a long story short. Finally, it was time for Jacob to come back to his homeland. Now, he has something that you will, that, that is, is more than all of us. He has two wives. And he brings back, you know, children and, uh, uh, and his animals and so on. And as he comes back to, to, to the homeland that God promised that, uh, that he would, uh, God would bring him back, he had a problem now. Esau, his elder brother. What would Esau, you know, do now that he's back? Would Esau kill him? So Jacob was really uh, worried, and 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 we know how he, you know, he, his mind is working again. He said, "Let's see how I can pacify my brother." You know, so that he would not be angry, so he would not bring harm to the family. You see, so his mind was working over time. So, so he sent his servants to inform Esau, actually just to find out how Esau would react about his homecoming. So when the servant came back and said, your brother Esau is coming with 400 of his men to meet you. Wow, he thought that's it. He's coming to take revenge. 400 men. So uh, Jacob was so nervous and he was, in fact, the Bible described him as so worried and and, and miserable because the brother is coming with 400 men to meet him. So so he divided his servants. You know, he sent, uh, take out some goods and send the servant off one batch and say, oh, my, 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 my master uh, is coming, you know, but these are gifts for you. And another group of servants will come and say, here, you know, some more gifts for you. My, my, my master is way back there. You know, just to, so that Esau would be pacified. That's, that's the word that, that the, the Bible used. You know, that was Jacob working over time, how he deal with that problem. And, and finally, he divided his wife and children into two groups. And the property into two groups. He was thinking, well, if Esau were to come and take revenge and attack one group, the other group can run off. So at least I have some, some descendants left and, and property left and, and they'll be safe. And after he divided them and split them off, that night he sat there by his own. His first encounter was God's 
sovereign move. As he was running away, remember? He laid his head there and, the, and that dream, that vision that he had. You know, it's God's sovereign move speaking to him. But this second time was him seeking God. Right? So as he was alone, but, but if you read back earlier on, he was praying to God. He was saying, God, save me. Save me from my brother. You know, so he was seeking God. He was asking God. And so, so he sat there. And then we know the story how an angel of God came and wrestled with him. And uh, the angel of God realized that he, he cannot overpower Jacob. Can you imagine the strength that he had? You know, some of us have that kind of strength. Because we are so stubborn. When God wants to Deal with us. You know, because we are so stubborn. Somehow, God seems to lose the battle. Right? There are people who refuse to to change, refuse to allow God to work in their life. And that's it. You see, so Jacob, he was wrestling with, with the angel. You know? And the angel realized, no way. Unless... You know, he, he used extra uh, force. So he touched, you know, his thigh. And, and Jacob, you know, sort of, sort of limp and uh, uh, just hang on to the angel of God. Do you know, even after that painful touch by the angel of God, Jacob refused to let go. And he kept hanging on to the angel. But this time, he hang on for a different reason. He hang on to seek God's blessing and God's blessing alone. He said, I will only let you go if you bless me. But Jacob already had so much property. He had two wives, he had children, he has all these things, he has tremendous blessing already. But Jacob this time, he doesn't want to trust in his, what he get for himself, you know, what he, you know, gain for himself by whatever means. But he just wanted the blessing of God this time. He just wanted to depend on God and God alone. And so as a result, of this second encounter with God. I, was, I shouldn't say second encounter because in between God spoke to him and so on. But I'm talking about, you know, uh, sort of, uh, well, encounter that, that really uh, is substantial, that really shake him, that really uh, uh, did something in his life, you know. So, so uh, the angel of God asked, Jacob, what's your name? He said, I'm Jacob. So the angel of God said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You'll be Israel. Instead of a deceiver, now you have new identity. Because you learn to trust me and trust me wholeheartedly. You learn to trust me to supply, to meet your need, to bless you. Instead of depending on your own way. Now, because of this, you have a new identity. Your name is Israel. Your name is a prince. The prince of God. That's your new identity. A prince of God. You know, some of us, we, we need a new identity. Because for too long, we depend on ourselves. We depend on our ways to, to, to get things for ourselves. But God is saying, if you would trust me, if you would trust me, that I have a plan and purpose for you, that I have prepared abundant things for you, if you would trust me about who you are, about your own destiny, what the destiny that you have, because I have a destiny for you, if you would trust me, I will give you a new identity. Instead of being a deceiver, 
You are a prince, a prince of God. And and for us to change, for us to have a new identity, you really need an encounter with God. We really need an encounter with God that will change our perception about who we are. That will give us a clear uh, understanding and, and knowledge of who God is. We need an encounter. That is how Jacob described his uh, experience in Genesis 32. And in verse 30, he said, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face. I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. Okay, so Jacob had an encounter, face-to-face encounter with God that changed his identity. And tonight, I'm praying that throughout, through this cause, you know, some of us, by listening to the Word of God, you will encounter God. You will know God is speaking to you. You know God wants to give you a new identity. And He wants you to trust Him with your destiny, with your future, with what you have. Instead of depending on yourself and your striving, you know, to get what God has already prepared. Okay, so that was Jacob, how his identity was completely changed. How he had a new identity. But I want you to know uh, this truth about who we are, our self-image, our self-perception. We really, really need to know who we are. In fact, that's the area that Satan will come to attack you. Satan will come. He wants you to question have doubts about who you really are. And we, we know this from the experience of our Lord Jesus Himself. Before Jesus started His ministry, we know that He was baptized in River Jordan and the, open, the heavens opened and a voice came down uh, and uh, a voice spoke. What did the voice say to Jesus? He said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God spoke with a voice from heaven. We know that Jesus already knew. We, we know that you know, through his relationship with the father, he already had this revelation since, the age, since age 12. But because of the the circumstances and the challenge and the problems that he will face in the ministry. Because of all these things, the Father spoke from heaven to reaffirm who he is with that voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Because true his ministry through his walk on this earth, through the experience that he will have, there will be time that he could question, who am I? Am I really the son of God? You see, it's like John the Baptist, we, we, we heard just now that he knew exactly who he was, right? But you know, towards the end of his life, when he was put in prison, when he was about to be beheaded, because of those experiences, he begins to question himself. He begins to question who Jesus is. You see, our life experience, some of the tough experience, some of the painful experience, some of the failures, some of the pain that you will go through. Many times those experiences, somehow they convey a negative message to us about who we are. 
So much so we begin to doubt, you know. Sometimes we say, well, if God really loved me, how come this thing is happening to me? If there is a God, if I'm a child of God, how come? But this morning, this evening, it's so, so important that we know, we know exactly who we are. In order to face the challenge, in order to face the temptation that's coming your way. And that's how Jesus, God the Father, prepared Jesus for it. And so that voice came and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God affirmed to Jesus who He is. It's the Son of God. And it's based on relationship. It's not based on performance. You know, Jesus had not started His ministry. So it's not because Jesus obeyed the Father and, and did all these things. He hasn't started His ministry yet. You see, who we are is not determined by the things that we do. But rather, who we are determines what we will do. It's a relationship. Tonight, you want to know who you really are. It's a relationship that we have. With God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship. It's not because of my performance. Because some of us, we could still base our relationship with God, uh, uh, who we are, based on performance. When we do not perform so well, we, we feel we are lesser child of God, you know? But God is saying to Jesus, you are who you are because I'm your father and I love you. Not because of anything you've done. Because I love you. I love you because you're my son. Okay, but Satan came. We knew immediately after the experience, Satan came. The temptation of Jesus, we know it so well. We saw read it. But let me tell you, that temptation is the probably the most severe temptation that Jesus had, right? That's why it's recorded right in the beginning of, of, of his ministry. And that temptation, if Satan succeeded, it destroyed the plan of God in the life of Jesus and for this world. You know, Satan will come and tempt us, will come and cast out you know, upon you as to who you are. Because if he can do that, he can destroy God's plan in your life. He can destroy how effective you are in God's kingdom. And that's exactly what he came to do. So, so let's not minimize. When we look at this temptation, let's not minimize and think that, well, this is just a temptation and Jesus, you know, overcome it without any problem. But do you know, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights for that. And only then would God, the Holy Spirit, permit Satan to tempt him. So I want you to know it's a very severe spiritual battle. And Satan will speak to you. Those voices, you know, who do you think you are? You know, you think you're a child of God. You think you're so good. You think, hey, don't take it as just a negative voice. Realize it's intense spiritual battle that the enemy is fighting for your destiny, for your effectiveness, for your fruitfulness. It's not just some negative voice that we, we are so used to and sometimes we're entertaining. No, this is a temptation that the enemy set. For the Lord Jesus and for, for us. And you know the story. He said, if you are the Son of God. Hey, the Father has just spoken that this is my beloved Son. You see, He comes. He still comes and says, if you are the Son of God. Prove yourself by what you can do. 
turn this stone into bread. So the enemy come to us and say, hey, prove yourself. If you are a son of God, prove yourself that you can live a sinner's life. You see, you fail. You do this thing. You do these bad things. This, this sinful thing. You think you are a son of God? Prove yourself. You see, Satan will want us to prove ourselves through our performance. And he said to Jesus, Prove. If you are a son of God, surely you can do this. He came again. You see? Prove yourself. If you are the son of God, you jump down from this highest point uh, of the temple, you jump down, the word of God says, He's going to have His angels catch you and save you. Jump down. Prove yourself. Satan will want you to prove who you are by the experience that you are going through. And he will say, well, you know, God loves you? Really? You know, how come this thing happened to you? It proved that God doesn't really love you. Otherwise, you will not experience such hurt. You see? So, proof who you are through the experience, the things that happen to you. You know, that is testing God. Jesus said, you know, you cannot tempt God. You cannot test Him. And then, finally, He said to Jesus, Satan said to Jesus, prove your identity by the things that you have. Look. You know, this, this world belongs to me. Look at the glory, the splendor, you know, of this world. If you just bow down and worship me, then I'm going to give it to you. I believe that's also the temptation that the enemies set for us. So some of us, we, we try to, 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 to win this world, the things of this world. To prove that we are somebody. To prove our worth. And so the enemy say, you know, you just worship me. Then you can have it. And so because we wanted the things of the world, somehow we compromise. Somehow we have agreement with the enemy in order to gain those things so that we can feel that we are of value, that we are of worth, that we are somebody. You see, let me remind you again. These are not normal day life. These are severe spiritual battle. And this is, these are the schemes of the evil one who, to, who, to, to want to take away the destiny that God has for you. And that's what he tried to do to Jesus. If you read the scripture carefully, at the end of this temptation, angels came to attend to Jesus. Angels came to attend to Jesus. You know when was the next time it happened? The angels came to minister to Jesus. The next time it happened was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember how he struggled with sweat drops of blood. That's that sort of intense struggle. And after that, angels came and ministered to him. So I want you to see how severe this spiritual battle is, even though it's just, you know, described in such a simple way. But it took so much out of Jesus to reject. You know, the kingdom of this world. Because he would be thinking, this is easy. This is painless. I don't have to suffer. But if I want God's way, I have to go to Calvary. I have to die on the cross. I have to be crucified. 
But now, it's so easy. I can have what God wants me to have by just bowing down to Satan. That's a big temptation. Isn't that so? And that's why some of us, we are not willing to take the, take, take the, 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 the challenge. We go for the easy way. Constantly we are facing temptation. There's an easy way. There's a way of God. You see? And, and that's what Satan came to offer to Jesus. And the Lord Jesus knew. You know, the difference. But Jesus had victory over Satan by standing firm on what the Word of God said. And so we will stand firm. We will stand firm on this foundation that God has placed us to identify ourselves in Christ, we will stand firm basing on what God said about us. That's the only way that we can stand firm. Because in your experience, there are times experience may not be in your favor. You know, you may have to suffer, you may have to pay the price. But, you know, it's not those experiences. It's what God said about you. It's what God said who we are. That's what we need to stand on. You know, when we stand, keep standing on that, if we stand on that foundation, it's a rock that cannot be shaken. We will be safe. We will be able to stand firm and, 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 and be victorious, you know, in this sort of trials, this challenge that the enemy will give to us. Okay, so this is the First lesson that uh, for tonight, that we really need to know who we are, because who we are will determine how we will live our life. And the perception, the inner perception of who we are, not the mental knowledge that we have, the inner perception that we have is the true perception that, that we have about ourselves. You know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Amen. Amen.